So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to the New Testament book of Colossians. If, you're, if you've been with us through the series um, and you're one of those really observant people who notice things, you will notice that I've skipped over uh, verses 18 through 21 of chapter 3, which is addressed to families, to wives and husbands and children and fathers. And I want you to know the reason I'm skipping over them is not because I think they're unimportant. Uh, In fact, I think they're so important that the plan is to redo a series from a few years back called Homewreckers uh, that addresses the same truths even more fully from the book of Ephesians. And so, Lord willing, we're going to come back to this vital topic of the family in in a couple of weeks. Meanwhile, we're going to move ahead to the section that starts in verse 22, which is addressed to slaves and to masters. And right away we have a problem, because none of you is a slave. Uh, That's right, kids, you're not slaves, uh, though you may feel that way. Um, And none of you is a master either. So it would seem, just on a superficial level, that this passage has nothing to say to us. It's not relevant to us. But actually, I believe it really is. Um, Because of what it says to slaves and the way it addresses them and what it says about the work and and their work and how to do it. Um, I'll tell you what I'm thinking and you can decide if that makes sense to you. See, a slave had little to no say about the kind of work that they had to do. Um, They didn't get to choose their occupation. And much of the work that they did, maybe most or all of the work they had to do, was very tedious, very boring, very menial kinds of work. It was not the kind of work that you would just get this real sense of accomplishment, that you were doing some really great thing. It just wouldn't feel that worthwhile. And yet, as we're going to see, this passage teaches that even the most tedious, menial work of a slave can make an eternal difference. Even an undesirable job can have great value. Work that feels worthless to the worker can actually have incredible worth in God's eyes and can bring glory to him. And to me, that seems very relevant because everyone has some work to do that they don't like doing, right? I mean, for some of you, it might be some of the chores you end up doing around the house, Uh, For others of you, it might be your job, maybe part of your job, maybe most of your job, maybe all of your job. Now, we're not slaves. We're not even close to slaves. We, We have all kinds of freedom that slaves never did. And yet, all of us at times have work to do that feels kind of worthless to us. And I know some of you feel that way a lot. And the great news of this passage is that if you know Jesus Christ, 
if you have a faith relationship with him, then you never have to feel that way about any of the work that you do. In fact, we shouldn't feel that way if we're walking with him. Even the parts of our work we don't like, we can feel, we never have to feel that it's not worthwhile because all of our work has value to him. That's what we're going to see. Now, uh, just a little aside here. uh, As we read this passage addressed to slaves and masters and Uh, That's troubling, and if it bothers you that this passage addresses slaves and masters without just coming right out and calling slavery a sin, without just, you know, telling masters, just let your slaves go, uh, which is probably what we wish it would say, let me just give you a couple of thoughts that might be helpful to you. Okay, and there's some notes on your, uh, on the note sheet that's in your folder you might want to look at. The first thing to know is that when you and I think of slavery, very naturally, what we think of is that brutal slavery of the 18th and 19th centuries that's very much part of our history as a country, bitterly divided our nation. The the basic kidnapping and enslavement of mainly Africans brought over to the New World and treated uh, as chattel, basically. And, you know, that ended up being the main issue, really, behind the Civil War and all. But you need to know that the slavery referred to in the Bible was of a different kind, what we would probably call something like indentured servanthood. And in the time of the New Testament, in the Roman Empire, which ruled over the Holy Land and and much of the world at that time, In the Roman Empire, half the population of the Roman Empire were technically slaves. And that included uh, many teachers, lawyers, and even doctors. Now, that's not to say it was a good system. I'm not saying that. But it was not the same kind of evil that we're used to hearing about associated with slavery. Secondly, you need to know that the Bible does condemn kidnapping and and slave trade, which would have prevented the kind of slavery we know about if people had obeyed their Bibles and taken it seriously. And then there's a couple other points on your sheet there you can look at and a, a, a resource You can check out later if you're interested. But let's go ahead. Um, We're going to move on and read the passage and see how it applies to us and the work that we do, including the work we don't like. So we're in Colossians chapter 3. Going to read verses 22 down through chapter 4, verse 1, which says this. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, 
Treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right, so here's the lesson I think we need to learn from this. It's how to make all of your work worth doing. How to make all of your work worth doing. Every bit of it. I think we can learn that from this. Okay? First thing you need to do to make all your work worth doing is you need to believe something. You need to believe that all your work matters to Jesus. All your work matters to Jesus. All the work you like, all the work you tolerate, all the work you hate, it all matters to him. Whether it's your job, whether it's your chores, any responsibility where you have some work to do, all of that can be and should be eternally worthwhile. Why? Because it all matters to Jesus. It all matters to him. Regardless of how tedious it is, how difficult it is, how boring some job might seem to you, Jesus wants you to do it well. And why does he want you to do it well? Because you matter to him. And what you do matters to him. And how you do it matters to him. All your work matters to him. Verse 22, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. In other words, don't just do a good job uh, at the things that seem important to you. Don't do a good job just at the things you like or the things that you think will impress other people. Don't just do a good job when the boss is around and watching. Okay, that's what that thing about eye service means. You know, oh, I'm being watched. I guess I better do a better job now. Um... Don't, don't pick and choose. Don't pick and choose what you do well and what you, what you don't do well. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. All your work matters to Jesus. I want to hear a little experiment. If I were to say to you, okay, I want you to think for a minute about a Christian job. I want you to think about a job that's really Christian. Okay, I wonder what comes to your mind. Because if what comes to your mind is something like, well, a pastor or a missionary or a Bible college teacher or something, I really want to challenge you to stop thinking like that, okay? Because it's not true. It's not true that certain jobs are more Christian than other jobs, See, people come sometimes think like that. They think there's kind of this scale of how Christian your job is. And up at the top of the scale, you get the really Christian jobs. And at the bottom, you have the jobs that aren't Christian at all. So up at the top, there's something like, you know, missionary or something. And down at the bottom, I should be really careful what I say here. Maybe I won't say anything. And maybe, well, okay, maybe like a politician or something. I'm not, I'm not saying I think that way. And I'm saying we shouldn't think that way. Because that kind of thinking is not biblical. To think that God only really cares about your job if it's this really Christian job, and that's all he really cares about, that's not a biblical way of thinking. Do you know what a Christian job is? 
It's a job done by a Christian. A Christian job is a job done by a Christian and done the way Christ wants it done. Christian work is not so much what you do as how you do it. Doing it the way Christ wants it done. And that means, if you think about this, what this means is that any legitimate job, and I say legitimate because I want to rule out things that are immoral or illegal, okay? We're not talking here about drug dealing or prostitution or something, working for the mob. Any decent, legitimate job can be done for the glory of Jesus Christ. Any job, okay? Any job can advance his purposes in this world. Any job can advance his mission. Okay, so the work of missionaries and pastors and people, you know, strange people like us, our work isn't more Christian. It's just different. It's different. So even jobs that seem more directly connected to the mission, advancing Christ's mission in this world, You know, even those jobs involve a lot of stuff that might seem not all that spiritual. I mean, missionaries still have to cook dinner. They still have to wash their dishes. They still have to take out the trash. They still have to get their cars fixed and that kind of stuff. You know, okay, so people probably think, well, pastor, that's really a Christian job. You know, I use a computer a lot in my job. I do a lot of work on my computer. And inevitably, computers break. And when my computer breaks... You know what I need? I don't need a pastor. I need a geek. I need a computer geek who knows how to fix computers. And when the plumbing in our church facilities malfunctions, we don't need somebody to lead a Bible study. We need a plumber. And when there's wiring to be done, we need an electrician. And when we're hungry, we need someone who could cook. And, you know, there's just all this stuff... When you go grocery shopping, because everybody needs food, when you go grocery shopping, do you ever think about all of the people it takes to provide those groceries? All of those farmers, all of those truck drivers, those warehouse workers, those store employees, and that's not even thinking about all the people who work on the roads and the railroads and everything to keep everything flowing. We need all kinds of people doing all kinds of work so that we can live and we can do the things Jesus wants us to do. Now, I imagine there are things about your job or your work that you would like to change. In fact, maybe what you'd like to change is your whole job. And that's fine if you're doing it for the right reasons. But we need to realize that the main thing, you need to know that the main thing God wants to change about your job is you. See, just changing jobs, that won't necessarily fix things if your attitude isn't right. There is this myth in our world, at least in our part of the world, okay, in our affluent part of the world, where we have so much freedom and so much access to education and training and everything, there's kind of this myth that you have got to dream up, you've got to come up with the the ideal, perfect job 
And then you've got to go after that. And you've got to find that dream job if you're going to live a significant, fulfilled, meaningful life. That's not true. That was not true for the slaves talked about here, these Christian slaves. And it's not true for many Christians in other parts of the world today. You realize that many people just end up doing what they need to do to survive, to live. Many men end up doing whatever their dad did. Many women end up doing whatever their mom did. They don't have the luxury of finding the ideal job, the perfect job for them. And even here in America, many people never end up doing what they would consider to be their ideal job. So are all of these people just doomed to a meaningless, frustrating, insignificant existence because they don't have their dream job? Not according to God. Not according to God. What if, what if it's not mainly about finding the right job? What if it's really about being the right person in whatever job you're in? See, lasting fulfillment does not come from finding the perfect situation. Because there isn't one. There isn't a perfect situation. Lasting fulfillment comes from becoming the person Jesus wants you to be in whatever situation you're in. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the job. Living out His purposes, living out His mission wherever you are, whatever your situation is. All your work, all of it is worth doing. Because it all matters to Jesus. Second, to make all your work worth doing, do all your work for Jesus. Okay, realize it all matters to him, believe that, and then do it all for him. And when I say do all your work for him, I mean do all your work for him. All of your work, not just your spiritual work. So making dinner, changing the oil, changing a diaper, writing the report, driving the truck, closing the sale, giving the speech, listening to the patient, scrubbing the floor, creating the spreadsheet, teaching the class, weeding the garden, whatever you do, whatever you do as a believer in Jesus, verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. What a statement. Imagine what that sounded like to some slave doing some piddly little menial work that just seemed like a total waste of time. You're serving the Lord Christ. He's your ultimate boss. He's the one you're really working for. And so do it all for him. What would it look like if we actually did that? Well, for one thing, I think we would work hard. I think we'd work hard. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. See, when you realize you're really working for Jesus, that motivates you to give your best. And and it's not just because his standards are really high. They are. And it's not just because he's always watching, because he always is. It's more than that. It's because he's so good. He's so gracious. He's so committed to your joy. 
He died to give you life. He died to make all of your life worth living. And he promised to work all things out for the good, including, you know, work you don't like. Work all things out for the good of those who love him. He's the best boss you could ever work for. I remember back in my college days, I was working at a retail store, and um, I worked in the department that sold, among other things, typewriters. Some of you might remember what a typewriter is, okay? It was like an early version of Word, Microsoft Word. No, not really. It was a machine we used, and we created documents with it. And this department sold, I don't know, one, two, three, four, there's like eight different models of typewriters, and they were on sale. And so people were buying all these typewriters. And we had a problem in our department, and the problem was that our inventory system never worked. Just never worked. So you never knew how many you had in stock. The only way you could know for sure that if if you had a typewriter that somebody wanted was you had to go down to the stock room and check. And it was a hike. You know, you had to say, please, excuse me, i got to go down and check in the stock room, take the key, walk to the back of the store, go down the stairs walk underground in the labyrinth until you came to the place where the stockroom was, unlocked it, went in, checked out all the typewriters, took, you know, and then said, oh, yes, we do have one, and walked all the way back. I was on duty one night, and I had done this like three times already. So I'm, and I'm on the floor alone, so every time I leave, you know, it, then the floor's not being manned, And so, you know, I'm getting a little tired of this, and somebody walks up, and they want a typewriter. And I think, oh, okay, got to go do it again. I said, excuse me, I have to go check and see if we have one of those, grab the key, go. And I remember on my way, as I'm walking down the stairs, I remember thinking to myself, I am just going to take my time. (laughs) That customer can just wait. And when I thought that, this passage popped into my head. Whatever you do, do all your work heartily. As for the Lord, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And the question came into my head, what if that was Jesus buying the typewriter? Well, so much for moseying to the stockroom. I changed my pace because I changed my attitude. Because you know something? In a very real sense, Jesus was my customer. Jesus was my boss. Jesus was my supervisor. I was working for him. When you do all your work for Jesus, you work hard. The other thing I think you do when you work for Jesus is you work to advance his mission, his purposes. Jesus has given us the task of making his love and his truth known in this world. Now, some jobs can, can advance that mission very directly, very openly. Now, but others, even if you can't, even if you can't, you know, share the gospel on company time or, you know, there's certain policies and procedures about what you can do and what you can't do on the job and so forth, you can still advance his mission with your work. Let me give you a few ideas how you can do that. In the first place, you can honor him by doing all your work with excellence. All your work with excellence. Remember, 
A Christian job is a job done by a Christian. A Christian job is a job done by a Christian the way Christ wants it done. And we know how Christ wants it done. He wants it done. He he wants Christians to do the very best work with honesty, with integrity, to the best of your ability. You know, employers ought to be eager to hire Christians because they know, they have heard, they know by experience that Christians do the very best work. You know what that would do? That would honor the name of Christ when employers want to hire Christians because they're such good workers. Second thing you can do is you can treat all people, all the people you work with, as Jesus would. With kindness, with truthfulness, with respect, with genuine concern for their welfare. I know that many, many workplaces are notorious for gossip, for backbiting, you know, for cutthroat competition and so on. And you may not be able to change all that, but you can change what you do. You can be different. You can treat people in such a way that when they find out you're a follower of Jesus, it confirms their suspicions in the best possible way. And third, you can use your wages from whatever job you have You can use your wages from a job well done to give generously to advance Christ's mission in this world. So Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that, okay, why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So notice what this is saying. It's saying don't steal in order to get. Now, by the way, it would include being a slacker on the job. That's a form of stealing. Don't steal in order to get. And it says don't even work in order to get, but instead work in order to get in order to give. It's a whole different mindset. Jesus has made it clear Life is not simply about acquiring, about getting as much as we can, as if somehow that is going to satisfy us. No. Life is about loving, and it's about giving. It's about doing good in His name. So, even if your work isn't all that satisfying... You can always use the income from your work in ways that are eternally satisfying. You can buy stuff for shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. You can can send Carrie to Tanzania. So much we can do to make an eternal difference. Jesus said in Matthew 6.19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And third, to make all your work worth doing, so believe that all your work matters to Jesus, do all your work for Jesus, and third, look forward to your evaluation from Jesus. 
Look forward to your evaluation from Jesus. I think pretty much everybody looks forward to payday, right? Everyone looks forward to payday. However, we don't always look forward far enough to the ultimate payday. But Jesus has told us it's coming. The ultimate payday is coming. And, you know, if we will remember that, if we will keep that in mind, that can help us do even the most tedious work with a good attitude, even with joy. Because every job done well for Jesus is going to be worth it. Every job done well. No matter how tedious it is, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how poorly compensated it is in this life. Notice verse 24, right after it says, do your work heartily, it says knowing, knowing something, having this in your head, believing this, that from the Lord you will receive, your, you will receive the inheritance, that's what it says, the inheritance as your reward. Now, can you imagine, try to imagine how incredibly amazing those words would have been to slaves who had no hope of any kind of inheritance, who were actually prohibited from owning property. But this is telling them that because they belong to Jesus and because they ultimately work for him, they are going to receive the inheritance, the greatest inheritance, the inheritance that really matters, the kingdom of God, the new heavens, the new earth. And everything that goes with it. Do you know that Jesus promises to reward every good deed that is done because of faith in him? He told his disciples, this is in Mark chapter 9, For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all, that's everybody here, okay? Every single one of you, including me, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's coming. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, what exactly will those rewards be? I don't really know. But I know that any reward Jesus gives is going to be awesome. And it's going to make whatever job you're doing, whatever job you're doing, even if it's ugly, whatever job you're doing, if you're doing it well and you're doing it for him, it's going to make that work totally worth it. But you have to keep in mind, it says, work heartily knowing that from the Lord you will receive. Now, there's another side to this payday. Verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Okay, so that what that's saying is, Jesus is not going to evaluate 
evaluate our work based on our, our social status. He, he doesn't have one standard that he uses for slaves and a different standard for masters. Uh, one standard for employees, another standard for executives. Okay, it's the same standard for everybody. And you know what's great about this? This reminds us that even if we experience unfairness in our work, you know, and slaves experience a lot of unfairness, even if we experience unfairness in our work, it's never worth it to respond to that unfairness with some unrighteousness of our own. It's never worth it. So if you work in a place where, you know, shady deals and, and uh, ruthless tactics get rewarded, you know, with bonuses or promotions or whatever, just remember, it's never worth it in the long run. Never. You know, because you, you might work with people whose motto is, nice guys finish last. Well, anybody who thinks that is looking at the wrong finish line. Don't believe it. Look further. Look to the real finish line. And at that real finish line, this is the truth. This is the truth. No one who trusts Christ will lose, and no one who cheats will win. No one who trusts Christ will lose. No one who cheats will win. So this is one performance review to really look forward to. Okay, so let that change how you work. And that's true if you're someone who's under authority, and that's true if you're someone who has authority over others. You know, the word here to masters is very simple. If you have authority over others, you need to use that authority justly, Fairly, you need to treat those people well because you have a master in heaven and you are going to answer for how you used your authority. It's true for all of us. So you see, all your work can be worth doing. All of it. I don't know what chores you have on your list for this afternoon or what's coming tomorrow morning or what you got coming up. There's going to be work that you have to do that you don't want to do. And yet it can all be worthwhile. It can all be done for the glory of Christ, and it should be. It all matters to him. Do it for him and look forward to the evaluation. Now, this all presumes, of course, having that faith relationship with Jesus so you can work for him. If you're here today and you haven't yet responded to his gift of life, if you haven't received his forgiveness, his purpose for your life, that's where it begins, knowing him. And if you'd like to talk about that when we're done here, I'd love to talk to you about it or talk to the person you came with. Let's, uh, let's bow and pray and ask God to help us do all our work for Jesus. Lord, it is amazing to me that you would care about all the little stuff that we do I mean, you are so great. You are so amazing. You are infinite. How is it that you care about the little stuff that we do? And yet we know that you do because you've said you care. We know that it all matters to you. So will you help us to trust you, to believe your word to us, to do all of our work for your glory and for our good? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.